Hello, and welcome to our second ever Q&A session. With book three behind us, we have opened our inbox to all of your questions. Between Twitter and Discord, you all have sent in a ton of great questions. We may not be able to get to all of them, but we will do our best. Before we start, we want to give a special thank you to everyone who sent in a question. Seeing how interested you all get in our show just lifts our hearts. We also want to thank all of our Patreon supporters for helping us keep the lights on here at Skyrand HQ. Thank you to everyone who leaves a rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. And last but not least, thanks to all of our listeners who keep tuning in week after week. This show wouldn't be what it is without your support. Whether you've been listening since day one or you just picked us up, we are so glad to have you. Now then, let's get on with our Questions of Skyrend Q&A session. We'll start with some quick introductions and then dive right in. I'm Scott Blake, and I'm the host and DM. You can find me on Twitter at TheScottBlake, and you can find Seasons of Skyrend on Twitter at SkyrendPodcast. Who's next? I'll go. I'm Shannon. You can find me on Twitter at Skyrend underscore Shannon. I play Arnis. I'll, uh, I'll go next with the laundry list, I guess. <laughs> I am Chris. Uh, you can find me at Ewokular uh, on Twitter. And I on Twitter. Um, I forgot the existence of Twitter there for a second. Oh, what a world that would be. Leave all of that in. All of it. Just leave it in. Fine. I'm just gonna keep going then. Um, and I play uh, Vale and Iolana. Very nice. Um, Nate, you can find me on Twitter at Skyren underscore Nate, and I play Darwin. Excellent. With that out of the way, let's have our first question. This first question is actually one of mine. Between all of the COVID restrictions and precautions, and recording from different locations. What has been the most challenging part of creating the podcast this past year? I'll start. For anyone who isn't aware, I am currently in London, whereas the rest of the cast is still back in California, so we have quite a bit of a time difference. Normally eight hours, although a couple times a year it's only seven. Thank you, Daylight Savings. We hate you. <laughs> so for me, that's probably the biggest challenge that I face is just when we record, I go to bed at 9 p.m. and I wake up. Well, I try to go to bed at 9 p.m., usually more like 9.30, but then I'm up by like 2, 2.30 in the morning so that we can record together and have everybody else be at a sensible time. So I lose a little bit of sleep doing this, but it is still like incredibly fun. And once we get going, I'm awake. As far as the COVID restrictions and lockdowns and everything that hasn't had an impact on my recording setup or capabilities, but that's just because I'm the odd man out and we have to do this remotely. Although I certainly do miss the days of when we all sat around the same table recording together. Mm -hmm. And uh, someday, someday if I ever get back home or if I just convince everybody else to move out here and we buy a castle together, um, someday we'll <laughs> record again. So down. All right. Anybody else want to answer this? I'll go. I think just like, <laughs> this is probably what Nate was about to say too. <sighs> I think really honestly, just making sure we can hear each other. <laughs> 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 Slash we aren't talking over one another as just in fact happened. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I'll go. Alrighty. So yeah, it is. There's a lot of that talking over each other and stuff, which I still haven't got used to, despite all the zoom I'm doing. There's I miss the ritual of you know driving down there, and getting pizza, mm-hmm. seeing you guys, even even San Scott. There's something in that. Um, but it's also from all the zooming I'm doing in general, like not related to this, that's caused by COVID. My brain is just not where it used to be, which makes everything harder. <laughs> like my attention span and focus are both shot. So even at work, I'm just like, it's, it's very different. It's hard for me to focus on anything. <laughs> Definitely do wish that you all could be at least in the same room together. <laughs> it would be nice. Maybe someday we'll yeah, just do uh well, maybe someday we'll do video streaming while we record, but oh, I don't know. That's a long ways off. Yeah. Someday. I kind of echo everyone else. Zoom burnout is a real thing, especially mm-hmm. if you're an educator. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I'm looking forward to is, you know, we're all vaccinated at this point, looking forward on to when we'll able when we will be able to get Nate in the building again at the very least. Mm-hmm always was and will be one of the things I look forward to in a week. So to get back to that little bit of normalcy will be nice. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. With our, with our COVID question out of the way, move on to questions about the podcast a little bit more specifically from our listeners. A few from us peppered in as well. Let's go around the table and take turns asking these questions. Chris, why don't you start us off? Gladly. This first question comes from Christopher Michael, uh, one of our Discord listeners. He asks, if during Session Zero, you could have predicted where your character would be this far into the story, how wrong would you have been? (laughs) And I think since I read it, I'll start. It's a good policy. If I could have predicted where Vale would be, I mean, I would have been completely wrong because I would have assumed they had both arms. Um, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I failed those rules, (laughs) but also, I mean, how do you predict that you're going to get trapped in you know the land of the dead for half a season? Like, those sorts of things, I think, are impossible. I think predicting the fact that Vale would have had some key assassinations and some like really definitive assassin moments would have been doable, but the rest of it, I would have just been stabbed in the dark. (laughs) <laughs> but Vale's good at <laughs> and now Vale can stab with the dark so even yeah. better hey yo Nate or Shannon I'll take a slice um, at it right. <laughs> <laughs> oh the puns are coming hot and fierce tonight oh dear although my answer is not much better than Chris's because <laughs> well it's basically I would have been extremely wrong, and I don't even have the same justifications you do. <laughs> I just just would have been extremely wrong. That's the only answer I have. I mean, at session zero, if you would have imagined where's Darwin going to be in three years, like by that point, did you imagine him retired, living in a palace? Um, I guess I guess still just a badass death monk is where I thought he would be. <laughs> still I don't know why badass. <laughs> now he's just a badass dead monk. <laughs> he's not dead. Nate is not dead. He's not undead. Sorry. Nate is definitely not dead. Darwin is also <laughs> definitely not dead. I mean, he's not not dead, though. <laughs> he's the most not dead any of you could be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure missing a leg or losing your head was not on the agenda. Yeah, I didn't see any of that coming. <laughs> hey, oh, really? did I. You didn't predict you would get trisected? No, no. <laughs> that was just one of those um, fun in-the-moment things. Although I did know he tended to lose his head. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach my pun limit really fast, aren't I? <laughs> so fast. It'll come back around. Don't worry. Oh God. <sighs> okay. I guess that leaves me. Uh, mm-hmm. Arnis just wanted to play in the bar, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really it. Um. So, I mean. I think it was sort of a miracle that even got him out of Karami. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> He's far from home now. I know. <laughs> yeah, I think between the the three original characters, Arnus is the one who is the most wrong we would have been about. Oh my god. Oh yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's fun being wrong. Totally. If we knew what three years down the road was going to look like, it would have been boring. I think for me, like, I never saw any of these outcomes for any of your characters. Because as we'll get into later with other questions, I did not have a long-term plan for your characters as a whole. (laughs) And there's just been so much of, oh, well, that happened? Well, then this should happen next. Why not this? Um, But it's great being wrong. It's nice. It's fun being surprised. I mean, otherwise we never would have gotten Iolana, and she was a lot of fun. And Kurakan was. was a lot of fun. Their meet cute was kind of amazing. Like that that moment at the start of season three was very fun. Ah, uh, with we'll Iolana and the uh, blue crab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Nate, why don't you hit us with the next question? Yes, I will. From Christopher Michael. Looking back at everything that's happened, if you could change one decision you made in game, which one would it be, and what would you do instead? Oh, so and good. I'll go first, and I'm not really sure if this is for the character or player. Either way. But either way, my answer is kind of mixed. Okay. Two words, Colonel Fabric. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's a good answer, Nate. Uh, Meaning, like you wouldn't have killed him. Uh, I really struggled with that. Like Darwin really mm-hmm. struggled with it, and I'm still not sure he would have done that. I'm still not sure that was the right in character mm-hmm. move. That's that's a rough one. It was to be fair. That one was meant to be rough. I wanted to give you just like a really lawful good guy to fight against. And I know that with, I know that overcoming that fight, getting him to be not an obstacle anymore was going to be hard. But yeah, that, that's a very solid answer. I liked Colonel Faybrook a lot, both the first Me. time we saw him and the second time we saw him. Me too. He was a fantastic character. What would you do? You know what you would have done instead? Like just let him live, not fought him at all. I would have maybe not come back after. There was a point, there was a turning point where we went and, you know, we talked to him and I promised him I wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what got me. Before that, it was all like fair game-ish because he was naturally opposed, but it was like making a gentleman's agreement and then breaking it, which mm. I think mm-hmm. I would consider not doing. 
Mm. Interesting. Very nice. Just, just not coming back, you know? Right. Except, if I remember right, we didn't exactly have a choice. It, was, it would have been a hard choice. You would have had to make concessions. Right. At the very least. It's been a while since I've listened to that episode, but yeah. Okay. Anything else, Nate? Or are we ready to... Chris or Shannon? I'm good. Okay. Chris or Shannon? He's thinking, so I guess I'll go. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mine's really simple. I would have taken Pathox's power immediately. I had a feeling that was going <laughs> to yeah. be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like the second I saw what was happening in the world, I went, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> well, I done fucked up, didn't I? <laughs> and it took it, and we devoted a whole season to fixing that mistake. <laughs> yep. Well, like half a season. The, well, two thirds, maybe. The first third of that season was about Vale. Was, well, we got to get Vale true. back first. <laughs> well, once you knew Vale was get backable, right. recoverable. <laughs> there we go. Retrievable. You know, I real like get- words. I like get backable. That's better. <laughs> get backable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had taken Pathox's power at that moment, at the end of at the end of book two, you know that would have drastically changed book three altogether. I, I have yeah. no idea what it would have mm-hmm. been. But also, like I, that would. But here's here's the thing. Like, if I had known that that was going to happen, I would have done it. But I'm glad that I didn't know because then the choice was authentic, right? Like, right? Because Arnis didn't want it until he realized. Well, somebody's got to take it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. But as much as I had characters there who could have told you and who did offer to tell you what it would what would happen or like what could potentially could have happened. Like, I didn't want to force that information on you because mm. I wanted it to be a real choice. Yeah. If it was like, do this or a lot of people die. Like, well, yeah, you would have done it. And I didn't want you to regret doing it. <laughs> Until immediately after it happened. <laughs> you regretted not doing it. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> okay, Chris. I would say leaving Earl. Uh, mm-hmm. 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 would have not left that thread dangling mm-hmm. that thread stills dangling to this mm-hmm. day yeah. yep. we might see it again mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers spoilers well okay <clears throat> for those of you who don't know out there in the listening world it is currently May 1st on the west coast May 2nd here in London and we've already started recording book four. So yes, there are some things that we can't talk about. Whether or not we get to Earl is going to be one of them. If it does happen, you'll just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will do our best not to spoil anything. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll do our best not to spoil stuff. That said, if something does slip out and you catch it, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> As the person who will be editing this Q&A in the week after we finish recording it, uh, maybe I will catch things. Maybe I won't. Who's to say? <laughs> but yeah, Earl. All those changelings. Yep. Be very interesting what they're up to now after everything happened with the elves and the withering. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, I had an answer for this. Um, gosh, I should have wrote, I should have written it down. Um, give me just, 
just a second because I know we're going on to the next question right after this. Um, um, now the one I'm thinking of is actually from book four, so I can't talk about it right now. Uh, <laughs> um, let's just move on. <laughs> if I can, if I think of something else, I, we can come back to it. But I want to keep going. All right, let's move on to the next question, Shannon. All right, this also comes from Christopher Michael. So connected to that last question, your character gains one use of the wish spell. What wish do you make? Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> if we're talking just like the end of book three, I would make all of the withering just go away. <laughs> mm. Like, mm-hmm. and not have to worry about like people just kind of getting over it, like on their, on their own, like anyone that is, gonna be healed like mm-hmm. i would just make it all go away <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a very fair answer because uh oh. yeah getting a I new don't... god of rebellion slash chaos does not instantly fix all of the problems right <laughs> anybody else i want my arm back <laughs> it would be either the arm so or it would be to de-age mm-hmm. oh. i want to fix the world and Vale wants to be younger <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the way Vale aged in Corum's realm, right, right, right. like <laughs> stripped them of their changeling abilities. Right. <laughs> and the arm, like, I understand. You were attached to it for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Uh, <laughs> but you had a chance to get your arm back. Yeah. But now, now you don't. That's, that, that's not entirely true. Vale always has a chance to get their arm back. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of how much that'll take. Um, trying to think if Iolana would have a wish. I mean, she sort of has access to a djinn all the time, right? So, yeah, like, yeah right? but Huracan, <laughs> as we saw, Huracan is limited, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Little peek behind the curtain here. You know, normally D&D djinns can make use of the wish spell. However, in our world, it's not so cut and dry. Basically, if a creature has access to a wish spell natively, like a djinn does, it's not something they learned. Um, I imagine they have to learn how to do that, but it is something that's more inborn to them. So it's a little bit more limited based on how powerful they are as well, mm-hmm. which is why the events that the king was trying to orchestrate with that wish spell were kind of limited but needed assistance. Like, if it was truly just a wish spell and he wanted to do a big old, like, royal family body swap thing, you know, boom. Wouldn't have needed help from, say, those implants. Got it. So it's not like Huracan is out there granting wishes every day. The bigger the wish, the more of a drain it is on him. Yeah. No no wishes from Iolana? Yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, we left her at the end of the season with what she probably would have wished for if she was given the option before that, so... Mm-hmm. To get her so dad so back. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So nothing that I can mm-hmm. think of. Okay. Nate slash Darwin. I don't have something. I don't have anything super cut and dry. I kind of want to steal Arnis's answer of ending the withering. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I'm def. I'm not too bummed out about my leg. I don't have any. You know. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I can think of is I might wish my dad to not have the financial troubles I kind of got him into. I liked. I liked having money. I'm used to a very posh lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and now your dad is 
sort of beholden to Captain Edmondson. Yeah, and you know, there's no guarantee that I'll get to return to my posh lifestyle once. Mm-hmm. Take care of your family. Take care of your dad. Very nice. I think I have far too many characters to answer this question. Um, <laughs> I think if anyone of the anyone of the like and like the core NPCs, Sam would be my first go-to as like who would answer this mm-hmm. as a proxy. Mm-hmm. And I'm torn between whether or not he would do something that's for the greater good, or if he'd use it to correct a past mistake. And that past mistake definitely being something that we did not see, but was alluded to uh, his business with Leopold. Because mm. he and some other Tamani are the ones responsible for separating Leopold from uh, Lurk way, way back, uh, which we saw, mm-hmm. which never happened. But is why Leopold had such a grudge against Sam. He definitely regrets that after having been separated from Sniffins because he saw just how painful it was. And yeah, he would definitely want to undo that. Even though, to be clear, Leopold already a jerk before then. He was a bad Mm -hmm. guy. He was doing bad, bad shit to other Tamani. And it was just, yeah, it's the solution they saw and didn't think through and didn't take into account what that would do to a person mentally. All right. Anything else on the wish question? Nope. For me. Nope. All right. I'll take the next one, which is actually the next two, because we had a couple of questions come in that were very similar to one another. First, from one of our friends over on Discord, Latired. How much of this campaign and world did you have planned prior to actually starting it? And how much of it did you create solely in response to the player's actions? It was very similar to another question we got from Christopher Michael. It's clear the story isn't on rails. So how much of the story you originally planned has changed due to actions and consequences. Yes, the story is not on rails, as anyone here can attest to. (laughs) Um, How much was originally created? If we go all the way back to book one, when it was just a bard in a pub, a changeling acting as a waitress, and... Rich boy Darwin over there hiding out in a monastery. Simpler times. <laughs> Much simpler times. The base plan, the, the very, very starting plan was always to have Corum show up and cancel undeath. That was more for story purposes in the long run because I wanted death to feel scary. Uh, and it's very difficult when it's just like, we're going to go pay someone to have them resurrected. Or now mm-hmm. the level that Arnus is that I'm just going to learn spells to do that. And if somebody dies, it's no big deal. Admittedly, as we can see now with Arnus's and Darwin's conditions, it is very difficult to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no. We found a way around that. <laughs> but, but after that, the plan was on my end was never, ah, I'm going to convince them to start a rebellion and change the whole continent. It was. <laughs> They're level one. I'm going to have the guy in power press them into service and, you know, do favors for the royal family until you realize how bad the royal family is. You just got there way sooner than I actually intended. Um, (laughs) I wonder why we're just naturally not want to trust anyone in power. Hmm. I I mean, here's something that nobody else at the table knows. Olicia 
the half river otter, half elf royal who's in Capris now. Yes. You, the original plan was to meet her in book one to, in wow. the capital. <laughs> like, that was way far back. Like, I had her plan because I'm like, yeah, I like river otters. I like this, <laughs> this, uh, this race here that she partially represents along with a few other characters we've met along the way. Dipple. But yes, like Dipple. Love Dipple. And Theria. And the king was going to be very, very ashamed of her condition and send her away. And then eventually you would have learned about that. Uh, that is way in the past now. That is so very far in the past. <laughs> I start off each book with the general plan of what I want to do. And then you spend a year telling me how wrong I am. <laughs> that is how this has worked out. <laughs> so, yes, I would say maybe the first 10% of any book is like kind of planned. And then everything else is based on consequences and actions. I have planned ahead of time locations, like what's here, what's there. Like I always knew that the Celestial Temple was over there. What exactly it was and how the Celestials interacted with people changed based on what you've done or based on what you did before getting there. Because the original plan that I had for that place just no longer fit. Earl was not originally there as it is now. I mean, it was a city. I had it on the map. I think one of the biggest things I did that has helped me be so mobile with the storytelling is I made a map and I put some dots <laughs> on it where cities are. Uh, and I put in where the seasons change on the map. So when you went places, I'd be like, oh, cool, there's a city here. And then I just had to figure out what type of city it was. Yeah. Yeah. So many things were never in the original plan. And I think that's what makes it great for me <laughs> as a DM. <laughs> uh, is just letting you go and do whatever you want and just being like, well, shit, let's throw those other things out. Which is also why I do a whole lot less building before our sessions now. Because otherwise it would be like the whole book one thing again. It's like, I did all that planning and I thought so many <laughs> things out. But in order for you to get there, it would have been like five, ten episodes maybe. Uh, and look how much changed in that amount of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, any anything that you guys want to chime in on on this pair of questions or you know any follow ups that you have based on that information? <laughs> I would just say that like one of the things I love about our world is how much we have not just of an effect on it, but like an ability to create for it. I mean, you know, so much of in fact, I would say ninety to ninety five percent of the Assassin's Guild was created by me because it was something I wanted, and Scott was mm -hmm. just like, "Go for it and so share it with me, and then I'll you know change what I need to change." And I like having that much ownership over our world. Yeah, well, your characters and the guilds and your schools, your monasteries these are all extensions of your characters. They had reasons to be there, and I couldn't have written those ahead of time. Otherwise, it's like if I had said that the Assassin's Guild was like super corrupt and just killing people all willy nilly would Vale have been a part of that. I don't know. So yeah, giving you all that freedom to help contribute to the world, I think has been really nice and it takes a, takes a load off of my shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Next question, Chris. All right. This one comes from iron polar bear is our first question from him this evening. And the question is, 
Was there ever an encounter that should have been easily won, but actually came close to killing the team? Um, this is not something I know the answer to. <laughs> um, I can I, only uh, imagine that I probably sure was. I would like to answer I, every encounter. Every that's what I was thinking. I was going to ask before I answer this, is there any that you think should have been very easy, but then you almost died? Anytime there's been a swarm, that's all. Yep, swarm sucks. <laughs> Swarms suck. I hate the swarms. I feel like the I feel like the chaos mages right after that huge battle in Karami were not yeah. supposed to be that difficult, but we were all like so close to dead anyway that we were it was just like I was just like healing people to up to like two hit points to yeah. just keep going. That that is definitely one of them. That was supposed to be like the intro to chaos mages. Um, <laughs> Like, I just wanted to show off their abilities, like and because their magic is randomized, like I picked out the list of spells on those tables, yes, but I never picked out which spell they were going to cast. I'm like, they're going to cast at this level. Let's roll. But yeah, like I never knew how effective they were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of that, it should have been easily won, but came close to killing y'all. I'm. There have been. So many. <laughs> <laughs> we basically always almost die. Um, always. Or we do die in Nate's case. Consistently. I mean, the, uh, <laughs> the dread mounds at the start of the book uh, were mm -hmm. supposed to be that deadly mm -hmm. because I needed to. I didn't need to. I really wanted to cut Nate up. I wanted to. <clears throat> sorry. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to cut Darwin up to highlight his new abilities. Mm. The, the the two elementals you met in the woods outside of Capris, who had Tonk and Felicity captive, um, along with Princess Colette and Horatio. Um, mm -hmm. Oh wait, no, you guys actually did murder the shit out of them. Uh, we no, did, no, no, yeah, we, we murdered the. Crap I was going to say that one was meant to be easy, and it kind of was. Like one hit in each. Well, Darwin was smart and hid in a tree and just like dropped down on that one, and like I know Darwin mm -hmm. got to test out his dive bomb ability. Which I would love to see more of. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Let's see. Other ones that should have easily been won. I mean, there's a lot of stuff early on, like book one stuff. Uh, just, you know, fights that you had in Karami. Whether it's mm -hmm. with the guards. Let's see. As far as book three goes. Actually, let me, let me pull something up real quick. There's a bit of notes that I forgot to have at hand. Those Snoke and dinosaurs almost killed us too. Had this wow. Okay, apparently those were meant to almost kill us. <laughs> no, actually, that's a good... Like, the Snowkin creatures... Yeah, the Snowkin, which is what we called them at the time, or as they've been officially called now, the Vacant. Right. Uh, the Vacant, who are, who are the natives... The native inhabitants of the Grayscape. What the Grayscape actually is, is still unclear. Uh, but the vacant have three sub races, as they would be called in D and D: the void, the fallow, and the barren. Which is really more of a, it's more of a mental separation. Like they do flow between one and the other. Um, they can do it willfully. It can be more subconsciously, or it can be more of just like uh, like events could lead them to wanting to change or to being compelled to change. Um, but it's not something that is set in stone. They are meant to be a very fluid and dynamic race. 
the Tangled Alcove. That was a good time. Good, good time. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. Back to the question. Should have been easily won, uh, but came close to killing the team. I mean, if we go back really far, the, uh, the Sentinids in the snow, when Arnus did die, yeah. it should mm-hmm. have been easily won by the Sentinids without killing people. <laughs> uh, because little known fact, that episode was originally recorded on an April Fool's Day, and it was supposed to lead to fun. And not the dire, dire consequences that followed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be fun to do something silly on April Fool's Day. Who's the fool? Scott's the fool. <laughs> <laughs> and the game was forever changed. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you got ambushed outside of Honey Hollow, that was supposed to be easy. Uh, a lot of stuff in the Celestial Temple was supposed to be easy. Um, don't remember that being especially close to deadly. Okay. Uh, a good example from book three that was supposed to be easily won. It was never, it wasn't originally planned to be easily won, but the way you all set it up turned it to be a fight that should have been easy. And that was the ambush that you all set for the conscription forces in Honey Hollow. Nice. When they showed up originally, it was supposed to be they are going to wreck all kinds of shit. Uh, and then you did some very good planning and did a faux surrender and ambushed the leader there in the, the courthouse area. But that still came really close to killing folks. Like, Darwin spent a lot of key points not dying in that session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the ones that come to mind. Let's go on to the next question. Neat. From Chris, hey, what, are your, what are your top three moments for each character? Would you like to start for us, Nate? Um, I don't can think I, I have a, top three moments. Can I ask a clarifying question, just since we have the question author here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want each of us to say our top three moments for yeah. every single character, oh, God, or are the top forever. three moments for our own character? We could do uh, episode that's just that why don't you just do the top three moments for your character okay, okay. I, I can think of three for mine i don't know yeah, why i didn't yeah. pre-plan these questions i, I read that as people. being for your own character <laughs> not everybody i thought it could go either way so i thought i better ask okay. um so I, I think i gotta go with chest drums yes classic the time i lost my clothes in battle <laughs> which one is which that? one well, that well, the, the, <laughs> it's two and three. Oh, okay. <laughs> like when you got swallowed by the dragon? Yeah. That was <laughs> that was pretty good. All right. Uh if you're done, I'll go next. Yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna say uh number three is losing the arm. I and mean, we joke about it a lot, but that was a hell of a good moment, like just for veil storytelling. Uh, I'm going to say number two is the plan to defend Honey Hollow. Because uh, mm. I think like that's a great build of of where Vale has come from to where they are. And my number one favorite Vale moment is after just leading the rebellion and murdering the crap out of the Duke, just completely outing themselves as an assassin because that's what they were supposed to do. And just such a badass Vale moment. <laughs> it's probably my number one. Very nice. 
Um, I think like number three for me is is the execution of the plan in Honey Hollow. <laughs> that joke is so good. I'm really, I'm really proud of that non-joke. Um, <laughs> so good. I, and I'm even prouder of how quickly I came up with it. Uh, and number two is 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 becoming a god, which sounds like that should be number one, but like, <laughs> um, and coming up with just like, what do you want to call yourself <laughs> that quickly mm-hmm. as well? But like, that was that was big for. Arnus as a character, but like it was big for the team too, right? Because that was a team effort. It wasn't just Arnus, which is why it's number two. And then number one is <laughs> the speech that I made before the Karami Rebellion. I'm so <laughs> proud of that damn speech. I had to like go away and like write it down <laughs> in order to be ready to give it. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, like oh, those who within, weren't here wouldn't know, but she literally left the table, went into another room, wrote the speech, and then came back. And then back. came back and delivered it. Um, <laughs> with an honorable mention going to like randomly kissing Cynthia and then running away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I don't have top three moments for each of my characters because that would take forever. But there are a few things that I definitely want to call out for your characters that I enjoyed so much. The first one that came to my mind was for Darwin, and that was when you all went into Corum's realm, and you met one of the NPCs that I was like most thrilled to introduce and was going to be a badass, Mr. Murray. He's the guy who had like the like only sections of skin, like a peeled orange. Like after you peel an orange and like there's all those gaps in between. He's the first NPC you encountered in Corum's realm, and he was meant to like kick shit off because you broke in the back way without a pass. And then Darwin was just like, "Hold on a second, I'm gonna go talk to your boss." <laughs> hey, Corum. <laughs> okay, in that moment, yeah. I'd like to speak to your manager. Thank you. I did not have that clocked as a possibility at all because Darwin does not talk to Corum very much. But then he's just like, I'm going to go talk to him right now. And then convincing Coram to intervene. I'm just like, ugh, this whole room just away it goes. <laughs> there were like stat- snakes up in the statues that you, ugh. Never, never mind, never mind. It was supposed to be big and brutal. And Vale diving down that escape tunnel oh, yeah. in the king's chambers, just in the dark, not caring where it goes. And just the whole soul fight thing with the king, because it really let Vale be highlighted. It's like the only, this was it. It was just Vale versus the king. There's no other interference, nothing else happening. There was that amount of focus. It wasn't necessarily an assassin moment, but it was a very good Vale moment, I felt. Here, here. Iolana, gotta give her a little bit of love. And that was. Oh, yeah. Early on in Iolana's appearance, when she was talking in everybody's heads and just like really pissing people off, and it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could do a quick three favorites for Iolana. I think the number one would be chasing Arnis down the street <laughs> with like air magic. <laughs> Such a good moment. Um, anytime 
Arnis and or anytime you want to got in any sort of debate with Arnis or Darwin about like not understanding the world because she's so cloistered. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think there were, there was a little bit of weird like flirtation between Iowana and um, and Sam when they first met. Where I was playing it is like that was the technique she was going to use. And I think that was fun. I never went there again, but I think it would have been interesting to go back to too. And for the record, Sam would have been down. Oh, yeah, I figured. <laughs> Sam is open. We've met Carolina, his wife, at this point. But they have a very open and understanding relationship. And there's a lot of trust between them. And Carolina, rest assured, she's done other things off camera as well. This is not <laughs> just Sam being a horny guy. It is their relationship. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. For Arnis, I you becoming God of Rebellion was really fun, but really you killing Pathox and throwing all caution to the wind is being like, nope, Corm said gone, so he's gone. Damn the consequences. Mm. It, was, it was very impulsive. It really was. All right. Unless there's any other moments people want to highlight, let's move on. Yes, that's got a lot to get through. We do. Uh, Okay, this comes from Romani. Have the characters you play changed how you think, act, or speak in real life? I'm actually glad I get to answer this one first. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Um, Like, Arnis is not afraid to step up to authority and take them down. Um, And it's making me, it's making me. (laughs) English totally teacher, dis- everybody. I'm t- I'm totally disproving my point right now. Um, <laughs> it's um it's made me much more able to like step up and say what I think in uncomfortable situations, like 100. percent Nice. That's all I got. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a long answer. I would say yes to a degree. I, I discovered very early on that Vale's anger at just like people being dicks comes from a very deep down level of it in myself. Um, mm-hmm. And like wanting to just put people in their place. Unfortunately, I'm not a veil. I can't just go assassinating people when they're doing that. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, veil has become a therapeutic uh, way of dealing with that anger that I have toward people who are just like horrible dicks. So yes. And the opposite also more true. Mm-hmm. And as for Yolana, I think, I don't think I've, gotten a chance to play her long enough for her to have an effect on me it's it's always been more me kind of playing through her um okay. yeah already neat i'm just gonna say i hope not because <laughs> <laughs> is it because of darvin's uh instincts to run away yeah well, actually, no. Self-preservation, I could probably use some of. That would probably help. <laughs> no, it's more he's, you know, he's obstinate. It can be frustrating to interact with. Mm-hmm. It's more that. It's more, okay. it's more the personality traits. Okay. Um, I think for me, I mean, the NPC that I've played the longest has been Sam. It, I think for these questions, when it comes down to characters... I'll be answering through Sam or with Sam in mind, just because he's been around since so very early on. And he's one of the characters, one of the NPCs who has seen more growth than any of the other ones. And 
one of the things that I didn't intend for Sam early on was how how open he was in terms of like affection. Um, I knew he was a Tamani right away from day one. Uh, I didn't know all the other character details about him yet. And what first may have started out as fun of like, oh yeah, he's in an open relationship with his wife. Which, yes, he had a wife since the very beginning. Uh, yeah, Sam was never, Sam was not originally intended to be as affectionate and open as he was, or as he became, I should say. And really, like, playing through Sam a lot with like that amount of openness he has in terms of relationships and sharing and thoughts and everything um, has certainly brought more of that into my thought process, not saying that, hey, I want to be in an open relationship. It's not my bag. It's for some people, um, not for me. But in terms of just like affection, showing other people and like how I think about uh, approach other people in situations, a lot of Sam has rubbed off on me in that way, which, which is interesting, unexpected. But the way I speak, uh, I don't think any of my characters has really affected the way I speak in general. Uh, but that's also because I don't have to stick to one specific voice. I have to jump around a lot. Mm. Yeah. All right. Ready for the next one. Let's go. This question comes from The Tired. Who is your favorite antagonist of the series so far? There have been a lot. For me, personally, I love Gosfrim. Mm. I'm sad that he's gone. <laughs> he started out as very selfish. But thanks to the not Gosrim we saw in the Celestial Temple, and then Gosrim that we saw in Honey Hollow, like I feel like I got a lot of chance to give him shadows, give him shades, flesh out his character a little bit more, and see that he's more than just a selfish jerk who wanted more followers in Old Barberry. Anyone else? The, for me, the, the first thought, is Earl because he's just so fucking annoying. And the fact that we had to carry him in a, like a backpack for so long <laughs> drove me nuts. And he'll always kind of have a special place in my hatred heart. But, uh, but my number one favorite antagonist will always be our uh, black dragon friend. Elizabeth. She's just so fucking annoying, man. And in all the best ways, like you just love to hate her. Mm hmm. Nate or Shannon? There are so, so many people that I love to hate. Because I would also echo, I would also echo Gosram, Elizabeth, Earl. I'd add Count Valance on there, mm -hmm. the king. I mean, I could make a whole list of royals, basically. Um, <laughs> anyone who ever told Arnus no. <laughs> I'd add Corum in there. Corum's <laughs> not an antagonist. But he was a dick. Okay, fine. Those two I are fine. not the same. Fine. If I if I can Arnest add Corum, Shannon. Then, then I would definitely add um I would definitely put Pathox on that list. Uh -huh. You could add Corum in there if you um, want, but I'm gonna say no, no, like, no, no, no. if there's a show bible somewhere, he does not appear <laughs> in the list of antagonists. <laughs> yet he's not he listed could. as a villain <laughs> like if you really wanted to make him your enemy you could but i don't think he's a and also just from the enemy perspective like 
or the meaning of antagonist. He's not really impeding your actions. He's not against you. Mm, yeah, that's fair. But yes, very nice. Nate. I would I would settle on it, Earl Earl. Everything you guys said are all <laughs> excellent. But I gotta go, Earl Earl. He had a what do we call that? A playground? That wasn't <laughs> the word, was it? Playground. Yeah, it was a playground. The Royal Playground. Yeah, he's the only one that we spent like several sessions playing in a playground with <laughs> and still managed to hate. So that's special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was nice just because he because he got to be so entitled. Before we move on to the next question, I just want to give honorable mention. One of my favorite antagonists is Yubo Bay because she has oh, no yeah. power whatsoever. Like, yeah, she's not a physical threat in any any way at all. She's just a jerk. She's oh, yeah. pompous. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say this, and you can cut it out later if you want, Scott. Um, no spoilers, but there is a good one coming. <laughs> no spoilers. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that'll. I mean, that'll probably get cut just because, of course, there's more antagonists coming. Book four has to happen. Ooh. Ooh. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. I'm not going to go full Muppet. All right. Let's move on. Chris. This question is from Latired again. Uh, Which races have been affected by the events at the end of book three? And I will say, I don't know the answer, but I think every race is affected to some degree because the world has changed. Yes, there. <laughs> there is that, and I, um, I do know that there are no more monstrosities, which is sad. Yeah, I tag this question as mostly me answering, and the main reason I left it in is because, yes, we are explicit at the end of book two who's affected, and at the start of book three, and at the end of book three who's getting saved and who's not. But it's easy to like it's easy to lose track. We do not have a list anywhere of who's around, who's not. So the answer to this question, who was initially affected was Children of Chaos, Children of Pathox. Who is still affected, as in who is gone, is a shorter list, thankfully. Yay. But it is somewhat sad in some ways. Thank you, Iolana. Yeah. Uh, It could have been much worse. It could have been a little better. But yes. After the events of book three, which races are lost, basically? The orcs, the furbolg, monstrosities, kobolds, the fey, and gnolls. These are threads that were not saved, and these races are considered lost, and we will not be seeing them again, barring me being proven wrong in the future. Um, (laughs) But right now, as it stands, no. Which is a shame, because as I mentioned, Gosrim, who is the god of monstrosities, uh, the monstrosity god, he is one of my favorites. And if I wanted to be selfish, I would bring him back in a heartbeat. But I won't. But yeah, some of them we never got to interact with. We never saw Furbolg. We never saw their god, Elder Warden. Uh, We saw very few kobold. And we never did interact with their god, Krulka. We never saw any fey. Their god, Filifri. And we never saw any Null. And their god, Turlong. Uh, the rest of the races who are recovering, we have the Aarakocra who are recovering. Their god, Skriha. Uh, we haven't seen any of them yet. Maybe someday. The Constructs are recovering. Uh, and their god, Junti. 
we had a very prominent construct with us for a long time with Olwan. He is somewhere. We'll see. The dragons are recovering with their god Yoru. The dwarves are recovering and their god Gregor Ironhand. Depending on how things play out after the last episode of The Glamour, that may become very important. Mm. The elves and their god Olwenir. Ah, Olwenir. She's a very fun antagonist as well, but we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with her. The gnomes are recovering and their god Kalikno. The most prominent gnome we had met before was Tonk, uh, one of our Patreon patron creations. Uh, One of our listeners there created Tonk, and he had a trinket from Liana that kept him safer. But with the events of Book 3 wrapped up, he'll be even more safe. Uh, And I can't wait to see him again. The goblins and their god Eliker are recovering. The oozes and their god Plorbap. The Sahuigan, their god Ool. And... Yeah, that is where we are at. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on to the next question? Mm-hmm. Yes. Ready? All right. Neat. Okay, next question from Christopher Michael. When did you know Arnis was headed for Godhood? <laughs> um, I think I got my first inkling the second it became clear someone, we had to replace Pathox somehow, right? I knew mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do it. so it seemed like there was only one person that was going to take that on willingly Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not 100% sure i knew knew but i think i i think i had a strong suspicion that that's what was going to at least want to happen okay um yeah oh go ahead scott i was just gonna say chris or shannon do you want to take a stab at this yeah i would say i would go back further and i would go back to the second that it was offered to arnis because I knew if it if it was offered, it was going to have to be filled by someone, and there's no way Arnus was going to let that mistake stand and not try to fix it by becoming a god. Shannon, you were Arnus. Yeah, I I pretty much knew the second we came out of that crater and we saw that woman turn to bone, um, <laughs> <laughs> like in the middle of the street. I went, oh fuck, huh. well I'm going to have to do something about that, um, and. Uh, yeah, I know that it was very, very early on in book three that I had like a private chat going with you, Scott, about like, I just want to let you know that like, this is my intention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you could just put some stuff in my way that would help, that would be amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. When did I know? Well, I knew several times and then I kept getting proven wrong. Again, thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The first time it entered as a possibility was, uh, I don't know, book one, chapter 27, The Grayscape, when you first met Coram and you were like, we're going to harass a god until he lets (laughs) Aranus not die. And I'm like, well, kill Pathox. Because at that point, I did know that I know how gods work and I know how transfer of godhood works. I've known that since the very beginning, but I thought, I'll just put that out there very early on, halfway through book one. And then I thought, oh, no, Arnis isn't going to do it. I thought when you actually went to go fight Patches, like, this is it, it's going to happen, and then no. And then, yeah, once Shannon started messaging me, like, this is what I want to do, I'm like, cool, we'll start paving those roads. And for a while there, I didn't know it was going to be Arnis. Like, it could have been, could have been anyone. But yeah, the idea was a long time coming, but 
not known for certain until early book three. We'll see how well that turns out. <laughs> Stay tuned to book four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Okay, this also comes from Christopher Michael. What decisions did your characters make that were the hardest for you as players, either because you knew at a meta level what would likely happen or because that decision was completely contrary to your personal code or morality? Um, I'm lucky that like morals-wise, Arnis is pretty much just who I wish I could be all the time. <laughs> um, just telling assholes to fuck off <laughs> like, all the time. <laughs> but... I, there's been a lot of decisions that are that have been hard for me because I felt like they were really Sophie's choice. Like there wasn't a like a good decision to be made. It was just like this is bad or this is bad. Choose your bad. Um, <laughs> and so a lot of them have been like that. And it's not even because like I as a player knew something that was going to happen. It was just like yeah, it was just a buffet of bad. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> okay Chris or Nate want to jump in on that I think for me the first thing that comes to mind is actually an Iolana moment and it was the moment where Iolana decided to attack Arnis uh, because I knew it was just going to piss Arnis off but Iolana had a mission um, that she had to she had to do um, and uh, the initial like fangirl route didn't work contrary to all the intel that I had received. Uh, so I think that's the first one. And then um, for Vale, and this is going to potentially maybe sound weird, it, it was convincing Aranis to start the rebellion. Because I knew as a player, Vale's only reason for doing it was because it was a way to get to their target. Mm. Like they had been told to kill him and there was multiple ways to do it, but I could play Arnis a little for something that Arnis would just do anyway. Mm -hmm. And it was just way more manipulative than I like to be as a human being, but it was such an easy push that Vale wasn't going to do it. So. Okay. I have an answer for this now because seeing this actually made me realize the answer to the question up above, uh, changing a decision in game. because so I had pegged it for this question in my brain. I didn't, if I had it written down, of course, I wouldn't have forgotten. Never trust sleepy brain. Sleepy right. brain betray you every time. <laughs> um, Nate, did you have a chance to answer this question? Not yet, no. And I do think I have but, an answer. If I can right. remember what it was. I knew what it was. Give me a sec. <laughs> all right. I oh. can answer. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Darwin has spent a lot of time conflicted that a lot of times it feels like what's best for the party doesn't go with what he's supposed to be doing from his god mm -hmm. and so that's always that is always fun and difficult to navigate mm -hmm. i i also have an answer for this question but it does tie back into changing a decision i made in game which is a decision that i didn't make in game at the time with sam at the end of book three when you were doing all the stuff with the bulb the npcs weren't very active during that time and they were kind of there as a resource for you if you wanted to convince them to help out or to do something. But I think when when Iolana purposefully dropped Gosram's thread, part of me really wanted Sam to jump in and do the physical bridge option, which we didn't take for any of them. I regret not doing that. 
but that's because part of me also knew like I, I didn't want to say goodbye to Sam yet, and I didn't know how much that would affect him. <laughs> so it was a little, little bit of selfishness. But on both, like on both sides, because like I don't like losing any of the gods, especially not Gosrim. But I've grown so very attached to Sam, uh, and part of me really wanted him to jump in there and take that. But mm. and that was more just, yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult time. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one comes from a longtime listener, Questing Moon. Does the group actually want to help Cade, or do they just feel obligated to? I will leave this to the three of you, since uh, this is more on you than it is on me. Uh, uh, Nate and say, Shannon, you've both hosted him. I will, uh, but I Chris, will say that Yolana and Vale don't care either way. <laughs> Color me shocked. <laughs> um, Darwin, yeah, actually, I, I, he just thinks that getting more powerful friends, especially if they're demigods, is probably a good thing. <laughs> Shannon, yeah, I do actually, I do actually want to help him. I just, it feels like all of the options for helping him are really like far away. Mm. So it seems like we don't want to help him. Right, because we're not really making any motion toward any of those things that would really help. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Well, if we want to, those options will be there in book four. Because having a demigod rattling around in Darwin's head is very fun for me, but only if you really want to interact with him. All right. Uh, let's move on. All right. Uh, my next question is from Romani again. He says, I just remembered that multiple Grayscape beings might have survived their invasion of Capris. So how do the players feel about the, those Simulcara that might be out in the world now, similar to the beings they interacted with during their journey into Underworld? And uh, I think Iolana probably has no feelings whatsoever because, you know, she's got her next mission. Mm-hmm. And for Vale, it's like, well, you know, if I have to deal with some deal with it, I'll deal with it. But it's just like people out in the world. There are plenty of people in the world all living their lives mm-hmm. or on lives in their case. Nate or Shannon. Yeah. I, uh, I also didn't realize they were out there until right now, now that I think about it, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm overly bothered by it. We may have to clean it up at some point, but if not, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But I like, for me, it's just like, I, you know, they can do their thing. Like it felt like 90% of um, the beings we encountered in the grayscape were just kind of doing their thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're here wherever, let them do their thing. It's fine until they start causing trouble. It's not in my purview. <laughs> live and let not live. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's nothing saying that all of those grayscape beings, the vacant who came into the who came into Capris are dead. Some of them could definitely still be alive. Plus that portal didn't officially close, so more could still be coming in, although now it is protected by nowhere. Creepy Spider-Man. And Ray Meyer. Yeah, it is. Wonderful spider lair down there in the well of departure. So But yeah, more of them could be coming so- in. And as to whether or not they are alive or dead, it's they exhibit all the properties of a living being. The one exception being is that they claim they do not have souls because they can see souls as they attach to bulbs, the threads, and they don't see that amongst themselves. Mm. 
But yeah, whether or not they become important to the story as we tell it remains to be seen. And unless you guys do anything to encourage or prevent them one way or the other, they'll, they'll just be there. Like, the option will always be there to have them show up. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I introduced them for a reason, and that is just to have another tool. Well, and because I liked the character, the, the concept of the races, uh, the concept of the vacant, which we may get to explore someday. All right. Next up, uh, Nate. Next is from Latired. What was your biggest inspiration for Skyrend, and has that source changed as the series progresses? All right. I know this one's more aimed at me since I did most of the world building, but if you want to add in anything that has inspired you or how you've interacted with the world or created your characters or supporting structures in the case of Vale's uh, Denouement Guild, by all means. I mean, my biggest inspiration for, for Skyrend. That is really difficult to say. There's not one single biggest source I've been reading and consuming various forms of fantasy, sci-fi, literature, movies, shows, podcasts for the longest time. And to say that there's any one that is like the biggest inspiration would be difficult because obviously there's Lord of the Rings in there, which was big for me when I finally got around to reading that as a young adult. Um, There's sci-fi stuff from Star Wars to novels. There's podcasts like God's Fall, Friends at the Table, Sneak Attack, just to name a few. There's just old TV I used to watch. Star Trek The Next Generation is a big one. Deep Space Nine is even bigger of an inspiration just because of how personal the divine and the conflicts are in that show. So there's not one biggest. Has it changed as the series progressed? Yeah. I I don't need to pull inspiration from the same places anymore. Uh, and that source changes just based on, you know, how I'm interacting with the world. The world is a huge inspiration, like our human earth world, which sounds really odd saying as a human earth man. Um, I'm not a robot. I'm not an alien. I swear. Um, <laughs> That's the first thing they say. But like, it's hard not to be inspired or influenced by everything else that's going on in the world. I don't think our, I don't think I would have represented power as such a terrible thing if we weren't seeing such terrible expressions of it in the real world. Mm. And part of what this show allows us to do is to see that and punch it in the face. Yes. Fucking yes. Yeah. Would any of you like to chime in about any inspiration you've had for character or support building i would say you know i think it's pretty obvious that Vale was at least initially very inspired with a lot of the mythology from assassin's creed i've always been a big fan of that series and i like the idea of importing some of that mentality into our world Um, but as the guild grew it really grew to be inspired as much by that as as it was the assassins from uh the elder scrolls games and that sort of stuff and even like if you get into the deep guild mythology, some of the stuff I wrote is even inspired by some of like the Harry Potter type of like school stuff and 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 their world. So it's weird though the way things just like permeate into what you're creating. Um, and then kind of Yolana became a, a spin-off of that as like what who, you know, who polices the assassins, like who mm-hmm. who's in charge of that. And I had already kind of always intended to have that wing. 
And when Vale went missing, uh, it just seemed the natural extension of the story for, for Vale's character to send someone to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, it so really fleshed out the Inquisition and, and, and that area. Very much that was because I think at the time I was watching Castle. Uh, there was a there was a lot of inspiration in some of what the IA team in that show does. They're not around a lot, but but also I wanted IA to not feel like the bad guys because I think you know there's this idea, especially in cop shows, where you're supposed to side with the cops on the street that IA is bad because they're investigating the cops, but really like <laughs> they're probably a good thing right. investigating the bad cops. So I kind of wanted to have that kind of deeper look into that too, which was why the first time Arnis mentioned her being IA, I was like, yeah, kind of, you totally read where I was going with that. So <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I also just wanted her to be a huge, like d- disconnected book nerd, which was fun and kind of inspired from my own personal life, always being kind of bookish and not used to being out in the world when I was younger. That mm-hmm. uh, was fun to pull in. So that's kind of my stuff. Hmm. Um, I I was inspired by several things. Like, I mean, initially really I just wanted to play a bard. But I think I think it stems from a from a deep-seated desire, which I'm certain that like most people have, like to be a rock star in one way or another, right? In whatever fictional corner of the world I could attain it. So there like there was that element to it, but then the more he started talking to people and I realized that, oh right, a charismatic character should have the ability to speak eloquently as well as play um and he kind of started to tap into that aspect of like what having charisma means then i started to tap into a whole bunch of like movies television show literature anywhere where somebody gives a big speech the one that always comes to my mind is literally anytime aragorn gives a speech in lord of the rings Um, and I don't want to totally interrupt you, but, but your speech at the rebellion, totally. I got Bill Pullman from Independence Day feels when you were given it the whole time. So, so there's that, so there's that too. There's Bill Pullman from Independence Day. There is, what was the other one I was just thinking of, even though this is going out there on tape now, even though I've never seen Braveheart, right? There's a little bit of that speech in there as well. And just like literally literally anytime someone gives that big like let's go do this speech whether it's like war or something else having the opportunity like anytime artist gives a speech to like draw on all of that inspiration as well as all my training with rhetorical devices right like yes that master's degree was for something um <laughs> is is fantastic <laughs> all right uh nate anything you want to add no, I got something for this. Um, Darwin was originally supposed to be an evil Batman. That's how I saw <laughs> Batman. <laughs> murder Batman. Yeah, murder Batman. Murder Batman. So Batman before the Golden Age. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it changed a lot since then. <laughs> That's it. I can read the next okay. question now. Yeah. Do you wanna, this, is like a, <laughs> this is like part two of the same question. Like it, it's in the same spirit. Oh, I was supposed to read it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was supposed to read them together. That's okay, Nate. Sorry. <laughs> we may not have any good answers for this, so um, it's fine. Go ahead this and ask question, away, though. This question is from Romani. Does Skyrim remind you of any particular fictional story? Is this due to the characters, the conflicts, the personal stakes, etc., etc.? Etc., etc. 
Yeah. I, I'm just going to say no. I mean, like, as good as it feels yelling Winterfell when running into battle, I would do that in any world, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a that's not a Game of Thrones thing. It just feels really good yelling Winterfell. So no. Jenkins. That's what I was going to say. I like yelling Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, the only thing that comes to mind, and I think it, part of it was uh, maybe a spinoff of the uh, previous question too, was when Vale came back from the uh, from Corm's realm. I always had in my mind as I was playing them, and and I think I I think I conveyed it well enough that when I listened to it, I do feel it. Um, a feel of the, I think it's the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston's my favorite doctor of all the doctors, and I will mm-hmm. surely get hate for it. But that like darkness that he carries with him, even though he tries to put on the smile, like, but he's the doctor who's seen hell and come back from it. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I tried to embody and, and, and convey that like Vale's messed up and not the person they were before they went in. Like they were dark, but it was like, I'm going to step in the dark, dark. Now it's like, mm-hmm. I've seen shit and I will never be the same. So that's what mm-hmm. I got. Okay. I got nothing. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, this was marked as an optional one, just because, you know, our story doesn't have to remind you of any other particular fictional story. I bring up game of Thrones. The only connection I see there is just that sometimes, you know, we've got high stakes. Like, People will die, mm-hmm. but that's, I don't think that's exclusive to Game of Thrones, Song right. of Ice and Fire. Like, hey, sometimes in heavier fantasy, it's not just get beat up every week, be fine the next day, no consequences. Yeah. I'm sure there are other fictional stories that I do not know about or I'm not thinking about that Skyrend reminds people of, but for the most part, I, I don't really have any that stick out to me. Moments here and there, sure, but overall... Not something that, not something that I try to connect too often because I don't want to start playing, you know, Supernatural mm-hmm. the podcast. I correct myself. I would play that podcast. I would play that game, but that's not Skyrim. Yeah. That's not where we're at right now. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Okay, this question comes to us from. It comes from Romani. It looks like I rephrased it a little bit. Romani by way of Scott. Do you get to play D&D or another RPG outside of Skyrend? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> three of us are actually involved in another D&D campaign. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we we were really, uh, we were worried that honestly, like, that the whole like crazy time difference and stuff wasn't going to work. Um, mm-hmm. And so we set up kind of an alternate game because we were like i don't know like we still want to see each other we don't know if if all of us are going to be able to make this work and and all this stuff and the game has kind of tripped from one thing to another um until we have landed very nicely on actually me (laughs) dming a a playthrough of curse of strahd which has been really fun for me to be on kind of the other side of the curtain (laughs) (laughs) which is a fun game um i also we're in like the fourth year of uh, running a game, Shannon, myself, my brother, and my mother um, that I started four or five years ago uh, as a Christmas present to him. And we don't get to play it as much now as I as we used to, but we do get you know an average of four or five sessions in over the summer. And then in the fall of this year, I ran with my high school students um, a live stream on uh, YouTube that was really fun uh, that we had intended to keep running, but my musical is currently kicking my butt. Mm. So, uh, 
but it was a lot of fun. I, and similar kind of to Skyrim, it was a completely original world that I had created um, that I'm in love with that we'll continue to go back to just because I absolutely love that world. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of the other stuff that I play along with a ton of video game stuff too. Mm-hmm. Also would die to get into VTM game someday. Nate, do you have any? Yeah, so the alternate game that they were talking about, but also my roommate and friend has been running, uh, what's it called? Mad Mage. Yeah. Mm. Which is just like dungeon delve, tons and tons of levels. Yeah. It's, you know, it's grindy. Nice, nice. It's a good brain break from Skyrim too, because it's kind of the opposite side of D&D. Yeah, and you know, I, I play a barbarian. Yes. Hit it with your Barbarians are awesome, but there's a lot less thinking about it involved. Just smash <laughs> things. It's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From my end, rarely. I was in a game with some folks at work before the lockdown started. Uh, we would play after work like once a week or so. I was uh, I was a warlock in that game. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, since the lockdown, that hasn't really been able to happen. And time is just not there for it. Outside of that, not really. I've done a couple of like guest appearances on some other streams, but that's been like over a year since any of those. But of course, always down to learn more RPGs and play more RPGs, just because getting outside of D&D lets me see so much of what else an RPG could be mm. and definitely influences how I create things for Skyrend in terms of just magic items, magic spells, how mechanics work, like the whole business with the bulb. That's not a D&D thing. Like mm. I tied it in with D&D mechanics, but that's something I had to create from scratch. But yeah, moving on. This one comes from listener Paul. If you could do a crossover with or invasion of another podcast's world, whose would it be? I'm just going to be real generic here and say, man, if there's any other podcast out there who wants <laughs> to jump into Skyrun for a minute, cool. Hit me Let's up. Let's do it. That sounds fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Scott Blake, and you can find the show at Skyrun Podcast, or you could invade <laughs> our Discord server and be like, yo, Scott, what's up? Let's do this. Conversely, if if they wanted to invite us on or even just a single one of us on, I would be down for that. I love playing. I get to DM a lot, but I don't get to play much. Um, I prefer DMing just to be honest, but playing is always fun. I mean, when they were still creating pod sneak attack was definitely one that I would have loved to have any one of them on or go play in their world. They're all real fun folks. Same with the same with the folks from like heartbeats, friends of the table. Mm -hmm. I enjoy both of those shows so much and they're so such different vibes and getting to play with any folks like that. Great. But you know, Hey, anyone who wants to come on, anyone who wants to share their space with us, I'm up for it. Anyone in particular, you guys want to call out or we could just roll on to the next question. I actually have a couple. First, I hear tell that the bard from flintlocks and fireballs would, mm. um, and RNS would get along very well <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as the whole, you know, like starting revolutions thing. I've only listened to a few episodes of their podcast and I, um, I enjoyed it, but I got so obsessed with the other one that I would call out, um, which is the side quest in mm, nice. that I sort of stopped uh, listening to the other one. Like, I love their world. I love how they play their characters and they interact. It reminds me so much of us and 
like and how we interact. Um, but they're so like laissez-faire about their characters almost dying. It's really, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it almost stresses me out. Um, the only problem is they play Pathfinder. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's D and D adjacent. It's yeah, it's close, but I, I love their world and those, uh, those characters. They're great. Nice. Yeah. I don't have anything off the top of my head. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Me neither. She covered it. This was very much an optional one. And really, I just wanted to have here because I wanted to say, hey, yeah, you can come on to our show. Just (laughs) timing is crazy. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the next one. I love that I get to read this one. So this also comes from Romani. What sort of unconventional subclass or prestige class would you be interested in seeing through the lens of Skyrim Scott Blake? Perhaps unique one-off heroes or villains, historical figures? conversational or controversial guilds um so i'm not i'm i'm not going to comment on this one at all because <laughs> i don't jerk. think i could do it and not and not <laughs> give something away so i'm just going to not comment on this one mm-hmm. okay uh, the floor is open to anybody else who would like to chime in on here i don't think i have a comment either just because <laughs> there's so much already like yeah, mm-hmm. you know that I don't need to. I don't need to. I mean, okay. I will say as a like peek behind the curtain that it's been really fun watching Chris and Scott go back and forth and creating things together. You know, with Iolana and other stuff. But like um, that process has been really interesting to watch. Where like Chris will get really excited about something and then they'll like shoot it off to Scott and then Scott will send back an idea and then and then Chris will get really excited about something else and I'll, like <laughs> send it off to Scott. And, like it's been really that's been really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um for me, what am I looking forward to seeing? Well, different uh, different levels of divine prestige classes, I guess you could say <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing. <laughs> What? Why would you be looking not forward to, to that? Not to spoil anything, but you know, Arnis may have picked up a trick or two. <laughs> but yeah, the Divine Prestige class, which is, just to give a tiny little glimpse, going to involve some fun new mechanics I can't wait to show off and expand upon. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the best answer I have is just stay tuned. <laughs> like, book four mm-hmm. is just going to blow some stuff up, and... <laughs> Anyone who wants an answer to this question just needs to listen. Yeah. Book four, will you will get to see a lot of new stuff. Whew. Not just from that one specific thing, but I really want to use book four as a way to just grow beyond what D&D provides. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of unconventional subclasses, I had a very fun thought the other night that I don't know if I'll be able to build anytime soon. But was sort of a, as I first thought of it in my head, was a null magic barbarian. Just not necessarily a barbarian, but a null magic subclass or class as a whole, who is just completely immune to everything magical. Um, That totally reminds me of, there's um, deep, deep in the legend Star Wars lore, there's a race of alien that come into the universe that are completely immune to the force. And it just Mm -hmm. like breaks everyone yeah that sort of thing yeah. is really cool because like on one hand it's like they're invincible to everything magical attacking them but they can't get any magical support so yeah. it's like as a real fun trade-off and there's a lot of stuff that i want to do with that but i might just pull little things here and there 
in terms of like magic items. There's a really cool one that we saw eh, just tinily hinted at in the last session of the Glamour uh, yeah. with uh, with Agnitai. So cool. Uh, yeah, that magic item is really cool. But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that I would love to see, and I'm constantly just thinking of new like finding new inspiration. Um, controversial guilds. I, I don't know. I I mean we've got we've got the Glamour, which is as close to a guild as they're gonna be, and they are definitely jerks. <laughs> um, I'd like to see an anti-glamour guild. But unique heroes, Carl Luminous, the belt buckle. Uh. He is becoming more unique as we go on. Pouchet, our kangaroo, uh, is becoming more unique and fleshed out <laughs> uh, as we go on. And I'm you totally know looking forward to having I fun. I picture him like one of, um, one of the toys from Toy Story 1. <laughs> the neighbor like patches together. Sid. Yeah, Sid. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. And don't even get me started on anything outside of just the world of Skyrend itself. Like as far as sci-fi space things go, like I could talk all day. Um, but <laughs> we, we would have to have a whole separate session just talking about that, but it just doesn't fit. So it's now is not the time. Uh, let's, let's move on before I get too excited. Nate. Okay. Next question is from Chris. That's if we were to party wipe tomorrow, that is you. If we were to party wipe tomorrow, <laughs> what would you want to do? I would make a barbarian, make things easy on myself. <laughs> oh, you took my answer. Uh, we could both be barbarians. We could make an all barbarian party. Okay. I mean, I to be honest, I I don't I don't really know. So I like I like barbarians, but I really loved like my barbarian, and so I don't know that I'd want to play another one, right? Mm-hmm. Like. And uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. Like if, if in our next session, we total party wipe, I, I might need a couple weeks <laughs> mm-hmm. <Understandable. laughs> before I'm ready to make a decision. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chris, this is your question. I hope you have an answer. Yeah, this is my question. I think my answer is going to be the most interesting. I w- if what I would like to do is I would like to see like a 500 year time jump. I would like to see us maybe even look into a slightly you know more futuristic system and see how what the long term effects of this world have been that we've created. Mm-hmm. And then I would want to play like you know if we were going to stay in the, the D system or or any system that has something like it i would like to play something like a warlock i've dabbled in a few levels of it in other games and for you especially but i just i love the idea of that the pact and and making that you know kind of deal with the devil for lack of a better way of putting it mm-hmm. and having it on your back kind of writing you and and giving you things but knowing that it's costing you is a, is a fun thing to get to play so that's what mm-hmm. i got i mean one of my answers is very close to Chris's, and that is a time skip. Just because I think if we picked up right the next day with another party, it would be, mm-hmm. well, how do we ignore everything that the party left undone? Right. Aside from that, like if we didn't do a time skip, I at least want to do a location jump. Mm-hmm. There's so many other places on the world yeah. of Skyrend that we just haven't seen. We've stuck to Sarakar this whole time. Celestia is, in my head, really fun. It's this island that broke up into a bunch of tiny little islands, cool dwarves up there. I would love to see it. 
Lirinor, way off to the north, the desert one, is also like a huge one in my head that I want to go see. But I also want to see Borzeth, the, the ice one down south. Just different locations, because as much as I love our story, like if we had to have new characters, I want them to have new problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also jumping forward in time allows us to just leave resolved vaguely everything that's going on now and mm-hmm. jump into new issues and see what things are like on a broader scope. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest part, for, like the hardest part for me answering this question, though, is if the party wiped, that means another god died. <laughs> <laughs> if the artist, the god died and wasn't and somebody didn't step into that mantle, that means we lose races again. Um, <laughs> World has fallen apart, yo. And just seeing how that affects everything long term, like I would definitely want to jump ahead with that. Yeah. Uh, but if they wiped because somebody took Arnis's place, that would be very interesting too. And mm. jumping ahead would allow us to see what they look like, you know, more fully formed. And then if we needed to go back and see like you know, how did that play out, you know, that's that's all backstory building stuff over time. But yeah, as far as like what level or what class or anything, like I'd be totally open. I'm I'm not too concerned. Um <laughs> Because at the end of the day, like I enjoy our characters. It's not so much all the skills they have, it's who they are. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go. We're almost done. Um, should I ask both of these at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So the first one comes from Questing Moon. What would be each character's retirement condition? I feel like Vale is close, but I'm curious for the others. And then the second question, similar to that, um, is from Chris. Are there any plans for a quote-unquote final chapter for these characters? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, at this point, I don't think Arnis feels like he can retire. Well, I think retirement, too, is different for Arnis yeah. at this point. I mean, because reti- like, retirement now means like basically just like, you know, leave the world of mortals. And I, you know, he's, he's not done here. <laughs> So I don't feel like at this point he has a, a retirement condition. Mm. I'm not going to go start that band with Quince. Um, is Quince still alive? <laughs> I'm just going to put the cricket noise in here. Yeah. <laughs> cricket, 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 cricket. Right. Go like we run that it. bar with, with Cynthia or like just like whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Um, I will add that Questing Moon, she is a wise one. Um, I think, you know, again, if you'd asked me going back to earlier questions, if I could have predicted where Vale's at now in the first session, I don't think I would have predicted Vale being on the verge of walking away, but they're, they're tired. They cannot do literally physically what they used to be able to do. And they're coping with a lot of that. And they're also in the presence of someone who could give them the next step on their path that they've kind of walked off of to walk with Arnis. So there's a lot that Vale's dealing and coping with uh, right now. She'll be very interesting, exciting to see them dealing with at the beginning of book four as we go into it. Listen, book four coming soon. Shameless plug for our own podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then I'd say um, Yolanda is nowhere near retirement. But uh, from the moment we met Iolana, she was always on a mission. Um, and that mission was going to align with this group as long as it aligned. 
And now that she has her dad back and they have access to Vale, there's no telling how long Yolanda will be around with, uh, with this party. Mm-hmm. At this point, it depends on what Scott throws at her. Mm-hmm. Nate, for Darwin, retirement conditions, final chapter. I'm not really sure. He really just wants to return to his cush, rich lifestyle. But at the same time, it's not about to just walk away. He feels pretty, uh, what's the word? I don't have the right word. Invested? Invested and involved. And, and, you know, there's also a part of him that's enjoying it. So it's not like he's like, damn, I don't want to leave the party and go. But it's not like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. He's not thinking about it too hard. He's just sort of doing whatever he has to do next. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, for me, I don't have, I don't have an answer for this for Sam. His retirement condition, you know, his final chapter. I mean, his final chapter probably looks like, you know, him and Carolina and, you know, some party members just chilling back, uh, back in Sam's home village, uh, which is something oh, that he would love good. to be able to do when the world allows for it. Uh, but moving on, uh, I know we've already kind of touched on this. But I thought of another answer for it, and uh, I want to ask this question anyways, because this next question comes from Relic of the Past, which is another podcast uh, that we were good friends with over on Twitter, at Relic of the Past. And they ask, what is one thing you wish you did differently this year in-game? And besides my wish that Sam would have acted there at the bulb, what do I wish we would have done differently? Um, there There was a lot in Caravel could have happened um <laughs> but didn't just because of the directions the story went i mean from the fun side of it i would have loved to spend more time in the stained court and just had like you know tournament fights those are fun but also with the chapel of alethea i would have loved to see more characters go down there uh, it was a great time to connect with Vale and who they are and where they are in their life because of the way it brings your connections to the different gods, whether by choice or whether because you just are connected to them by virtue of who you are, and forces them to interact with you. It's like one of the only places in the world where you can be like, I'm going to go talk to some gods now, and they will be there because of the way that uh, that looking glass, so to speak, was set up. And so spending more time in both of those, I, I would have loved to have done, but I don't regret what we did there because having Carolina show up. And burn some shit down. And then everybody running. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Do any of you have any additional answers for this? Wish I'd rolled better. <laughs> <laughs> we all wish that, buddy. I would say this. As much as I absolutely loved the mind fight between the king, I really wish Vale would have just ran right past his handmaiden and just plowed into that stone statue and destroyed it before even the opportunity happened. That's the one thing I think I would have changed, even though I wouldn't take away that mind experience. I think mm-hmm. it was great podcast, but I think, I, yeah, that's what I would have changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't honestly know. I like the only thing that's coming to my mind is uh, like, I wish, I wish I could have convinced Vale and by extension Iolana that we needed to stay in Honey Hollow and help them. <sighs> um, <laughs> that we needed to finish the fight that we started but couldn't quite prevent. Mm-hmm. I yeah, 
Cause I like, I regret that. I feel like we did half a job, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that that's really it. Okay. I'd say I also keep forgetting. I have Yolana also. I think for Yolana, the one thing, and this probably goes back longer than the year, but it's in this season. So I'm going to say it. I think having her reevaluate the initial meet cute and change tactics and not go like the violent route, but like come back a different way again, like the next night would have been interesting to play out again. And this is interesting because like, I don't dislike, in fact, I said one of my favorite Yolanda moments is that fight in the street. But I think it would have, I think if that moment had come at the end of the season where I had been playing Yolanda longer, I would have played it differently. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you, I think, and I think we'd all say this about like, if we could look back at book one episodes, like one through 10, right? When we're still learning who our characters are and how they interact with the world, there's things that mm-hmm. we would go back and, and redo or change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. If there's nothing else on this question, Nate. Um, this comes from Scott. Woo, that's me. That is you. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to in book four? I'm going to say, I don't really know. Whatever book four throws at us. More awesome, unexpected stuff. And getting to know Kate a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for more Kate as well. Shannon or Chris? Really, I just want to figure out how to use my new awesome godly powers <laughs> mm-hmm. and try to get a handle on like what exactly it means now to be a god. I'll say for Vale, it's finally figuring out what the hell Huracan wants. And for Iolana, it's going back home. Um, she's excited to be done with this insanity and move on to the next mission because holy fuck, these people are crazy. You will not believe where they dragged me. <laughs> I think for me, uh, yeah, exploring the, the divine stuff with Cade and with uh, Aranus are huge up there. Um, taking care of some dangling threads from before I'm looking forward to, but that really just seeing how many of my plans you all destroy and how we have to change yes. and adapt things. I always look forward to that because you'll do something and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I get to make this now. I get to go do this. I get to be this person. Like if we end up back in Earl, like just figuring out what that looks like for those changelings who have been without OG Earl for so long now. <laughs> and like how much of what he did to them is still in effect and how that's changed and twisted over the years definitely looking forward to that and just getting to explore our characters like definitely getting to explore the world and all the stuff from the glamour session that's going to be directly or indirectly impacting you guys the stuff with mavic the stuff with captain edmondson levesque especially because he is on a mission and if you don't do anything to stop him and he is successful he will be even more of a pain in the ass than ever so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> now that you mention it, I'm really looking forward to the spring break party boat. <laughs> spring break. <laughs> oh, I've already had such a great discussion with Nate about what some of that looks like. And I'm so happy. It's going to be fun. Um, I'll tell you one thing I'm not looking forward to. And that is experiencing Mavic's death. Um, I'm not <sighs> looking forward to that. I really like Mavic. He's a fun character. 
Dude, nowhere's going to get kicked out of the glamour. <laughs> no, we're so boned. <laughs> she just needs to stay in her spider cave and not come out. I know. <laughs> I don't attend meetings anymore. I just stay down here with Ray and our spiders. That's what we do. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. You've got a portal there with access to the grayscape, so uh, it's not like you're stuck. Oh, so many. Yeah, I'd love to just go back into that well just to hang out with Ray. And the rest of the scale force. I, I'm a big fan of the scale force. I, I know I made them, so I shouldn't be like patting myself on the back too hard. <laughs> but I was just happy with how they turned out because it could have just been like, eh, not very fun. Uh, it's always a toss up with NPCs and how well they connect with the party and just, mm. you know, how much personality that they have and how much of it gets to shine through. But I think between Ray and Holly and. Oh, crap, who's their leader's name? Crap. Oh. Crap, crap, crap. The halfling. I don't remember. Uh, Makura. Between Ray, Holly, and Makura. Really, really enjoy them, and I'd love to go back to them. Unfortunately, two of them have passed. <laughs> so not, those, not of those three. Jefferson and Serena have passed because of things that we have done. Yeah. Like uh, and that we've done to them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the three of them the, the halfling warlord, basically, who, hey, speaking of classes or prestige, like, that is definitely one that I would love to flesh out. But if we don't go back to her, then there's no reason to. Uh, Holly Faithful, she's just, she's fun and flirty and makes people uncomfortable. And by people, oh. he means Arnus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I assume that Vale and Darwin also did not take too kindly to her approach. Not fans. Like, she'd make people uncomfortable without, like, you know, she's not groping anybody. Like, a light touch with a tail. She's just, just her like, attitude. She was just, like, in my space. Mm-hmm. She's, <laughs> she's very up close and personal, and yes, yeah. she's... But no, I, re- I really like being her. Um, but I like being Ray too, because he's creepy spider wizard warlock guy. Yeah. But yeah, looking forward to so much in book four. Can't wait. I, I, and if I had to be, like, generic and specific, it's just making new things. Whether that's new items, new abilities, uh, new races. I definitely want to flesh some of them out. We'll see. (sighs) Um, All right. And with that, before we wrap up, one last question, which is more for all of you listeners out there than it is for us. And that is, when does book four start? When can you expect to see that in your podcast feed? And the answer, without being specific, is soon. Um, <laughs> as i mentioned before this is the start of may right now uh we're hoping to have this q a out by mid-may if at all possible it's just a matter of how fast i can edit it down and get it out to our patreon feed and then get it out to our regular podcast feed but aside from the generic answer of soon you can expect at least you know two three weeks in between this session and the start of book four Give us time to switch over things like art, create uh, new intros. We've got some amazing new art coming yeah, from a wonderful art artist. Oh, that, that so art. excited for people to see it. That art is so sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hot. It's fresh to death. <laughs> Worked with a wonderful artist that I commissioned from Twitter. Their Twitter handle is at Gabby underscore Desu. She has made some fantastic art for us. As much as I wish we could have gone with our normal artist, uh, Vanessa, who made the art for our first three books, she had a wonderful life event with the birth of her first child. 
uh, and her and her husband are rightfully so distracted <laughs> and are taking care of the new child. Um, and we wish her all the best. And I love seeing pictures of the little one and just all the, I, I love chatting with her. She's, she's great. Uh, we used to work together uh, and I loved supporting her and I love that she was supporting us, but we wish her the best on that. And who knows, maybe by the time we get to book five, she will be ready <laughs> to work with us again. Or maybe we will just keep finding new artists. Who's to say? It all depends on where we are, what we need. But I'm really excited to share the stuff we have with you from Gabby. She's done great art. And if you can find her on Twitter, go ahead. Look at her stuff. Follow her. Commission her. She's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it done super quick, and I'm super happy. But yes, you can expect Book 4, Chapter 1 to drop, hopefully within three weeks of this being released. Uh, if not, just come yell at me on Twitter. Yell at the podcast on Twitter. Leave Scott out of this. Yell at Skyrim so podcast. You're doing the math, <laughs> listeners at home. Scott's saying that you'll be able to enjoy it next to the pool sometime this summer. Yes. June. Hopefully early June. <laughs> but who wants to do math? I just, yeah. I teach English, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Since when is D&D about math? Come on. Always. It's always been about math. Yeah, it's always been about math. Some editions more heavily than others. Mm-hmm. Cannot wait to share book four with everybody to see all of the new things that are going to happen. As I mentioned before, we've already started recording and there's some great stuff already. I've gotten to frustrate everybody real good. Uh, makes oh, me happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, he pissed us off good. Like in game, not, not in real life. <laughs> and I'm just looking forward to exploring everything about book four together with Chris, with Nate, with Shannon, and with all of you listeners out there. All of our Sky friends, all of our wonderful Patreon patrons. Again, we can't thank enough. I know budgets can be tight. I know that, you know, there's, I know there's so many places where you could be spending your money. And if you're giving us any of it at all, we thank you so much. It helps pay for the hosting, pay for servers, pay for materials. And sometimes it just helps offset, you know, the amount of time that we spend on this. Mm-hmm. But really, it's, it's incredibly wonderful. And I am always touched that anybody listens to us or gives us money at all. So yes, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you and appreciate everybody out there so much. Word. Yeah, I would like to second that. <laughs> all, just all yep. of it. <laughs> and with that, our Questions of Skyrend Q&A session comes to an end. If you had a question that you wanted to ask and didn't or didn't get it on time, find us on Twitter at Skyren Podcast. Drop your questions there or come over into our Discord server. We have a Book 3 Q&A channel, which will probably be archived shortly, but you can ask questions there if it's still there. Or you can ask questions in the general chat or the spoilers chat if you've heard something recently and want to ask specifically about it and you're worried about spoiling things. We'd love to have your questions. Uh, you don't have to wait for a Q&A session to drop them, depending on how many questions we get. You know, it could be not until the end of book four when we do another one of these. Uh, but if we get a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, then, you know, we may be encouraged to do these more often. I just like doing them at the end of a book because it allows us to talk about stuff without worrying about spoilers and what we're in the middle of doing at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yes, you can find us on Twitter at Skyren Podcast. If you want to drop any more questions, if you just want to, talk about D&D or the podcast or podcasting in general, by all means, 
I'm always open, almost always available. Sometimes I sleep. It happens from time to time. I don't always get up at two in the morning. Sleep. Um, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that brings our Q&A session to an end. I look forward to sharing book four with you as soon as we are able. Look forward to sharing our new art, to sharing our new stories, and just being able to continue to share this world with everybody. Um, but, 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 am I missing anything else? Don't think so. Not that I get to go. Well then, thank you listeners. We hope you enjoyed our Q&A session. We hope we answered all of your burning questions. I hope you enjoyed our answers. If anything wasn't clear, please feel free to follow up with us. Um, thank you everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed our Q&A. Please stay tuned for book four. Cannot wait to release this to you. Cannot wait to share more stories with you. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, for supporting us, for listening. And with that, good night. No. Uh, <laughs> good night and good luck. Bye-bye. <laughs> I know. Thank you, everybody, for I your know. questions. We look forward to the next one. Adios. And with that, we'll bring this chapter to a close. But the story will always continue. Thanks again to all of our Patreon patrons for your support. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash skyrenpodcast and pick out a level that's right for you. Before we go, I'd like to give special thanks to everyone at the $5 and up tiers. At the $5 city council level, thank you, Shannon DeMello. At the $10 mayor level, thank you, Christopher DeMello. At the $15 governor level, thank you, Paul Calicott, Phoenix Bryan, and Sierra Jones. Thank you for listening to this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. If you want to chat, we're on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast. You can join our Discord server, or you can email us at skyrendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at skyrenpodcast.com. As always, thanks to Daryl Barnes for creating our theme music. You can find them on Twitter at Daryl Barnes underscore. We also want to thank the talented at Gabby underscore Desu on Twitter for our fantastic podcast art. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Seasons of Skyrend.